You may be seated. If you have you version this morning, it'll be important to follow the notes, and uh, there's some even a link there in the notes that you'll need at the end of the service. As, as we get ready to go into a new year and discover what it holds for us as individuals, that's one thing that everybody naturally does at the turning of the year is you start thinking forward, I need to lose some weight, I need to do this, what does my career look like, you know, where, where am I at with relationship? You just kind of reassess and start thinking about maybe then all the, all the things that God has for you in the coming year. You start getting your calendar, fresh calendar is a beautiful thing, all those blank pages and you start to start planning and seeing what the year holds for you as an individual. Well, collectively, we have to do the same thing as a church. When we think about what God has for us in the new year collectively as a body of Christ, we have to also think about what God uh, wants for us. And and I think one of the most important series that I'm going to preach this year is a series on identity. And it's going to be a very, very important series for us all, identity. Uh, Because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. And and this uh, this series that we're going to do in the next few weeks is about knowing who we are as a church. Uh, churches may be similar, but not all churches are alike. Just they're unique, like thumbprints or <laughs> snowflakes or personality. Every church has its own unique personality. Uh, all churches should have the same mission, but sadly they, they don't all. But, but, but what I'm saying is churches are very unique. And when we understand who we are as a church and what makes us us, when we know who we are, then we're going to know exactly what we're supposed to do. And I know we all understand that we live in a community filled with churches. There's many churches in this community. Uh, you, you guys are, I don't know if we're blessed or cursed. I don't know how to say it because it can be problems but can also be a huge blessing. Let's say it this way. We're blessed to have so many churches in our community, especially here in North Texas. Uh, really all of Texas is just blanketed uh, with opportunities to hear the gospel and engage a congregation of Christ's followers because there are churches all over the south in a way that doesn't exist in other parts of the United States and certainly other parts of the world. The big question is, we live in a community filled with churches, so what makes us, us? And I think that's an important thing for us to contemplate this morning. Because we want every person who's trying to either engage with Christ in 2019 or re-engage, maybe they've fallen away and trying to re-engage and come back to Christ, we want everybody who's trying to either come to Christ or re-engage with Christ as they're seeking that connection with Christ and a body of Christ's followers, we think when they ask the question, why your church? We believe that every member of Cornerstone Baptist Church ought to be able to answer that question. And you ought to be able to say, well, here's, because our church is boom, 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 boom. And at the end of this series, you'll be able to say, boom, 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 what those four things or five things are that uniquely make us, us. It's important this morning that we constantly assess that what we're doing as a church, what we're doing is what God wants us to be doing. And this is kind of what we do as a business. You know, every once in a while you, you assess your, your company and you say, okay, are we doing the things we really want to be doing and doing them, doing them well? Well, from our point of view, we have a very... Uh, uh, that standard doesn't exist in this room is what I'm saying. Uh, the person we're trying to please is God. And we want to step back every once in a while and make sure that what we're doing as a body is pleasing the one who's called us to follow him and it's acceptable to God. Now, let me just say it this way to you. The churches in our community do a multitude of, of good things. 
the collective churches in our community, do many things. They provide many different services. And our church, like most of the churches in our community, does several different things. We provide pre-marriage counseling. We provide marriage counseling. We, we provide all types of counseling. And when we feel like it's something beyond what, what we want to or can properly professionally deal, we have sources to, to hand off to that are solid Christian sources and do a fantastic job in that area. We provide prayer services. We pray with people when they have needs. Listen, it's not uncommon. Just even, even when we're just moving in and out of the building during the week, there will be people in the lobby, and we're just having prayer right there in the lobby with people and meeting their needs and out in the community the same way. Benevolence, we help people. We help. You just can't imagine. You guys can't imagine how often the phone rings and how often somebody walks through that door Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, saying, I need... You cannot imagine how, how, how much benevolence is requested. I, I'm down and out. I have a medical bill. I've got a problem. I'm, uh, you, just, you hear everything. And we live in a very affluent area. And we still hear everything. I can imagine what the requests are like in more of an inner city, uh, urban context. Uh, but like most churches, we officiate weddings. Uh, we, we provide funeral services. Uh, some churches will do that only for their members, uh, but quite often you guys come to us and say, uh, I had a death in my family, they weren't in church, pastor, would you help us? Absolutely is the answer. Absolutely. Sometimes people will call us we've never even heard of and say, I died, we have no connection to any church, would you help us with this funeral? Sometimes we, we will sit down and we'll say, God just opened a door for us to present the gospel tomorrow afternoon. You know? And so, yes, so we, we help people quite often with, with funeral services. We're involved in our community meeting needs of people, both through the CBC Cornerstone, but also through Global Effects, the nonprofit that we own that does both humanitarian work here and internationally. And if you're new to Cornerstone, just know that we own, we are the owners of another nonprofit called Global Effects. It helps orphans, it builds schools, it does all kinds of things. We'll talk to you about that in a, in a whole, nother, whole nother service. Now, besides the things that we do, now listen carefully, our leadership frequently receives requests to start additional ministries and add new programs. We are constantly bombarded with people saying, hey, pastor, I want you to start this ministry. Hey, pastor, I'm burdened about this, and I want you to add this program. Hey, do we offer this at, at our church? And when those pleas for additional programming occur, Usually, not always, but usually what someone is saying is why doesn't a staff member do this particular ministry that I am very burdened about but don't intend to do myself? Let me reword it a different way. Why don't you, Aaron, take on another thing that I'm burdened about but I have no intention of of doing it, organizing it or staffing it? And so I just want to say, you're you're getting the view here. Uh, The staff... And the leadership of our church do our very best to guard you and to keep our church uncluttered from programs and a burdensome calendar that does nothing but schedule events to keep people busy. We guard you from that intentionally. We are not an event-driven church. This is not us. If you say, I want an event-driven church that will fill my calendar because I have no friends and no life, 
this is not the church for you. Because we will not fill your calendar with meaningless events. This is not who we are. At Cornerstone, we believe you are already busy enough with the life you have. Now, if I've read this wrong, you just email me this week and tell me I'm dead wrong as the pastor of this church. But this is the way I see you. And if I've read you incorrectly, and if I've misunderstood your lifestyle, you, this is, I'm giving you now the, the, the opportunity to criticize this week's pastor. I, you're dead wrong. I'm bored stiff. Okay. Email me and let me know. And I'll be gracious and we'll have a nice conversation. But here's my really and our staff's heartfelt belief. We believe that you are already busy enough with life as it has been given to you. Can I get a witness? All right. We are very busy people. And we live very busy, hectic lives. This is us. This is who we are. We are not a laid-back country church chewing on a piece of straw, sitting on the tailgate with nothing to do. Okay? We're a city church where people are typically both husband and wife work. They've got at least two kids. They're all in sports, dance, theater, band, football, baseball, basketball, and sometimes they can tick every one of those boxes. The parents run nonstop from morning to night and collapse in the evening and wonder how they get laundry and dinner and everything ready for the next day. That's the life that most of the people in this congregation live day to day. And we believe, as we study the Bible and we study historically more than 2,000 years of New Testament church history, here is our determination from what we've seen in church history, that the church of Jesus Christ has historically done very few things, but has done them exceptionally well. And when the church focuses on what the church is supposed to be doing, it'll do fewer things and it'll do them very well. So what we do at Cornerstone is we try to follow that Christian tradition of our forefathers by honoring Christ's model of only doing the most important things and doing those things to the very best of our ability. And I want you to remember, Jesus left us one great assignment. Above all assignments, one great assignment. Go Make disciples. And everything we do here has to be secondary to making disciples. It is always primary. And yet, disciple making is the very thing that most Christians don't do at all. Isn't that shocking? The average church-going Christian in the average church in America believes that most of their obligation before God has been fulfilled when they walk into the church on Sunday morning, show up at a service, and if they serve on a committee or somewhere, they get bonus points for being specially, you know, especially good. One of the most popular beliefs in Christianity today is that if we're just busy doing Christian things, then somehow we are really pleasing God. But let me remind you that busyness will not be rewarded in heaven any more than idleness. There's no verse in the Bible that says, well, if you're really busy, here's your reward over those lazy people who had nothing to do. No, busyness is not rewarded any more than idleness. And busyness, even in good things, okay, even in good things, can sometimes distract you from the very best thing and sap energy and resources from the very best thing that Christ has asked us 
to do. So I want to declare this morning Cornerstone and to our community and to those who are guests with us today who we are. Every church is known for something. Now I want you to think back to your, to your childhood maybe. Every church is known for something and if they're not so known for something, they're just completely ignored as irrelevant in the community. I want you to think back to your childhood. A lot of you grew up in small towns. Uh, even Keller, when I was a child, was a small town sitting out here in the country and you had to get to it from a 30-minute drive to Fort Worth on a blacktop two-lane road. But just think about where you grew up and the churches that were in the town where you grew up. And now, Jeff, you grew up in Fort Worth, but you knew of several different churches here in Fort Worth. And, you know, you grew up in Nebraska. And, you, you know, you grew up, you had spent time in Irving and here and there. But think about where you grew up and the churches that were in those communities. Every church is known for something. And if I start making statements, you'll start just identifying churches. One church in your community was known for its annual Christmas programs. The big cantata, the big musical, the living Christmas tree. And at that time of year, everybody went over there to that thing. And that's what that church, the church planned all year, budgeted all year to pull that one event off. Some churches are known for their big Easter thing that they do. And they, they live all year for that big thing and then... Basically, they quiet down, and, that, and that's it. One church in the community is known for its annual garage sale. Sure, always. One church in the community is known for its, its awesome VBS. And, and regardless of what church you go to in some towns, regardless of what denomination you are, when that church who does the really good VBS does their VBS, everybody from every church sends their kids over to that VBS for that, that week. That's the way it works. Because that's what that church, they planned all year for that VBS. They budgeted for that big thing that they did. That was their shtick. That's what they did, you know. And so that's what they were known for. One church was known as the church that fires the pastor every two years. One church is known as a church that just keeps splitting and fights and argues and fusses about everything. I mean, you, you've lived this. You've seen this. Churches are known for something. Another church in every community is known for its Christian school. Oh, that's the church with the school. Yeah. Even in our community, we have that. That's the church that had the school over there. Yeah. Every church is known for something. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning, don't read it this way, I'm not suggesting that these things are bad except for fuss and fighting and firing a pastor. These things are not bad or wrong. I'm not suggesting that. There's nothing wrong with the VBS, nothing wrong with Christian school. I'm not suggesting these things are bad or wrong, but wouldn't it be great to be known as the church where people are getting saved? Wouldn't it be great to be known as the church where lives are being transformed and people are becoming followers and disciples of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be great in the community when somebody said, hey, uh, or, oh yeah, you're that church that makes disciples. Who make disciples? Yes, we are. That church, ladies and gentlemen, this is us. I'm not saying we're superior. I'm not being arrogant about that. I'm just saying, if you want to know who we are, intentionally we have decided to let some things go by that are not bad things. But we live such busy lives that we've decided to focus on a thing, which we believe is the thing. And we'll do some other things, but this thing has to come first. If you want to know who we are, we're disciple-making church. This is us. Now, 
we cannot be known collectively for what we're not known for individually. In other words, a church is us. And many times you'll be tempted, I'll talk about this in other sermons, many times you'll be tempted to say, well, the church, rock, 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 rock. Who do you think you are? That's like looking in the mirror and saying, all these fat people are really bothering me. You see what I'm saying? Or It's like looking in the mirror and saying, all these inconsistent people that I'm seeing here are, are troubling me. You're talking about yourself. You're talking about us, is what I'm saying this morning. And we cannot be collectively a disciple-making church if individually we're not disciples of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You say, well, I want a loving church. Great, then we'll have to have a lot of loving individuals to make a loving corporate body. I want to be in a gracious, uh, 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 dynamic body of great, then that's what we will have to be as individuals. One of the things we've known, we've tried, and uh, I hate to say we're experts in anything because we're always learning everything, but when people look for the experts, it's, it's our phone they call now on this issue of discipleship. We've tried to learn everything we can about how to be disciple makers and, and follow Christ and, 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 and have an intentional, reproducible process. And one of the things we do know is you don't make disciples in a public worship service like this. This has a completely different outcome, and I approach it with different intentions than I used to even 10 years ago, this public worship like this. This is really a pep rally for God's people to come together and get ready to go live for Christ when we go out the doors. But we know that you don't make disciples in the public worship service. What you need to make disciples is what Jesus modeled, and that's a small group of people with personal relationships with each other, that can get together and be mobile and move together and eat together and do life together and do ministry together. And in that small group, something happens that can't happen in this room. In this room, it's extremely, extremely difficult for there to be any personal accountability. Because even as I'm talking about things like this, we have the tendency to sit there. And when I'm saying this, Johnny says, yeah, I'm glad Garrett's listening. He really needs to hear this. You see what I'm saying? And, and the word, a word goes out from God, and, and you tend to deposit that with your wife. You, you, I see some elbows every once in a while when I'm preaching. Husband and wives are nudging each other a little bit, making sure you got the point. You know, the, the point is it's for us. It's not just for the people around us. And we have to become what Christ wants us to be. And, and accountability is difficult in this context. But when you get three or four people together at the kitchen table, accountability is easy. It's just easy to say, hey, did you read your Bible this week? Hey, say your memory verse. Hey, let's talk about what we read this week and what God's been speaking to us about. Show me what you marked in your Bible. Hey, let's talk about how, how things are going in your relationships. Hey, let's, let's just talk about life. What's going on with you this week? And see, feel like you're a little bit off. Or, man, you're really on fire. Or That accountability happens in genuine relationships. In those intentional relationships, that's where the love of God is released and that's where we can be real and we can be genuine. And, and it's in that fertile soil of a close relationship where that growth sprouts in our life. That is the soil where it, it, it all happens. Jesus made disciples, we know this, by calling people into intentional relationships with himself. All, he, follow me. Hi, let's meet. How are you? Come and see. Stay with me. Come to my house. Follow me. That's what he did. And that's what the first parts of those uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John look like 
They thought, are you the Messiah? He said, come and see. Hey, who are you? Come and see. Where are you staying? Come and hang out with me. And they spent time together and they built a relationship together. And it was through those relationships with himself that he taught them how to be Christians. This is where we get the word, Christ-like. He taught them how to be like himself. Not by lecturing them on Sunday morning for an hour. He taught them how to be like him verbally, but more importantly... He modeled it. This is what we miss sometimes. Uh, Peter, James, and John and the disciples didn't learn to be great Christians by hearing sermons. They learned to be great Christians because they were in close relationships with Christ and He lived in front of them what He was saying to them. He modeled for them everything He was teaching If he said love, then he modeled love. If he said forgive, then they saw him forgive people. Whatever he was teaching, he modeled it. So they said, aha, I see what it looks like. I see how to do it. I see what a Christian should be. And they just followed his model. And the results were profound. The results were profound. His disciples turned the world upside down. His disciples knew how to make disciples. Not because they went to church and heard a million sermons, but because they had a relationship with Christ and they saw it modeled before their very eyes. Now, our discipleship groups at Cornerstone, our discipleship groups are the result of strategic and intentional planning to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Nothing is happenstance. The way we've modeled it is a strategic, intentional reproducible process to create environments where disciple-making can happen in that small relational group. By the way, let me just throw this out there. That's the way you're saved. That's the way you got saved. Salvation isn't about doing a list of things, of works. Salvation is about entering a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing Him personally so that you're in Christ and you've identified with Christ and your life is in Christ and you've received Christ as your personal Savior in that relationship personally. That's what being born again is all about. That's what salvation really is. Now, there are several scriptures that shape why we're a disciple-making church. Let me just give, give you two real quick, and that's all I have this morning for you. The first one relates to loving God being our first priority. What we have to remember as a church is that Jesus told us, loving God comes first. Anything else that happens in your spiritual life needs to be a result of, a byproduct of, getting the first thing first, and the first thing first is Loving God. Let me read the verse. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Everything we do as a church has to be based in our love for Jesus Christ. We can never let busyness of events and schedule be a substitute for actually having a relationship with and loving with all of our heart, mind, and strength the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this was modeled again later in the scripture. Jesus went to Bethany. Uh, they're celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus and, and they're, they're, they're having a party. And you've, you've seen these scriptures. And uh, uh, Mary and Martha become key figures in the story. It happened as he entered a certain village. There was a woman named Martha 
who welcomed him to her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? Have you ever said to God, God, don't you care? That's good language. That's honest language. God, I'm hurting. Don't you care? God, I'm having trouble here. Don't you care? Sure he cares. Sure he cares. She said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Tell her she has to. Make her do the right thing. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Lots of distractions, lots of busyness, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part. There's one big thing that has to be the the thing, and Mary, fortunately, has chosen the big thing, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Martha believed in Jesus. She knew he was the Son of God. Watch her brother be raised from the dead right there. Martha believed in Jesus. She had opened up her life to Jesus. She opened up her home as a place of ministry for Jesus. When they traveled, that's where they slept, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Latin. That was like their headquarters outside of Jerusalem for, 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 for the New Testament disciple-making in, in Judea. Listen, she had opened her home. She had given up her food. She opened her pantry. She opened her living room. She opened her life. But that wasn't all Jesus wanted. You you, you see, she was actively serving Jesus and the other guests by preparing the food, preparing the meal, getting everything right as as a hostess. Her motives and her intentions were fantastic, but busyness was not what Jesus really wanted from her. As a matter of fact, Jewish tradition required that Mary be in there helping Martha. They were both supposed to be preparing the meal, and I'm not making it a chauvinist thing, although it is, uh, but in other cultures, even today, many of them, the men are going to eat first, and then the women are going to eat second, and you know what I'm saying? And, and that was the tradition there. Uh, the tradition said Mary should be in there helping Martha get things ready. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. You'll appreciate this, living in a contemporary generation. Jesus was not too interested in keeping up traditions. He said, yeah, tradition does say that, Martha, but who cares? So what? Big deal. Maybe it's time to change traditions. Martha said, I want justice then. Make her help me. I'm seeking justice now. She became exasperated in all of that busyness and demanded, Make Mary help me, Jesus. And Jesus said, No. She said, Yeah, she has to help me. And maybe I'll talk about this a little more next week or in the coming weeks, the difference between have to and get to. Between you have to do something and you get to do something. Let's save that for for another week, okay? Instead, Jesus taught Martha this. She said, there's something more important than busyness or keeping up traditions or seeking justice or, or giving justice. The most important thing is what Mary has chosen, and that's to love Jesus. To sit at his feet and be a disciple. To be in a relationship at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. That's where the disciples were sitting. That's what she's chosen, and that's the big thing. Let me say it maybe in a different way that will resonate with you. You remember back over in the book of Genesis, Abraham was called the friend of God. And listen, Abraham not only acknowledged God as the source of all of his blessings, but Abraham pulled up a chair at the table and asked God to come and sit at his table and dine with him as a friend. What we need this morning are people like old Abraham who will be modern friends of Jesus Christ. God is looking for disciples like John 
who at the Last Supper reached over and just hugged his best friend and expressed his love and affection for Jesus Christ. He said, what what do I need to do in the new year? Love Jesus. Love Jesus above all things. Be like Mary, who said there's a lot of things I need to be doing probably, but for this moment I just want to sit here and work on my relationship with the Savior Jesus. I just want to love Christ for a moment. The great command is love God. And then Jesus added a second commandment. You, you, you know it. And the second is like unto the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to say this to you this morning. Those two commandments cannot really be separated. For one is the demonstration of the other. Do you love God? Then you will love what God loves. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot separate those two things. And that's why this one is the most important. Because when this one gets right, and we focus energy on that, then God begins to tender our heart to the needs of everyone around us, the need and the mission to make disciples, and we begin to love what God loves. He said about his disciples this. He said there's going to be some defining characteristics of followers of Christ. That needs to be stamped on this church, by the way. If we are followers of Christ, this should be our defining characteristic. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. We can never convince the world that we're followers of Christ if we don't show love. It's not going to happen in a million years. But when that love pours from us to each other the world sees that and they know that what we have is a genuine because loving God is our first priority then discipleship becomes our mission it's my second big thought discipleship becomes our mission above all congregations you guys know this one Matthew 28 Jesus said go therefore and make disciples of all nations now I get to preach out and and gosh I'll share with you my preaching schedule Maybe in a few weeks, it's uh, April, May, June is insane. Um, I get to preach a lot of places, and, and I'm sad to say that not every church is cornerstone. You guys are exceptional in some ways. I get to preach a lot of places, and a lot of places Christians mistakenly interpret this as go therefore to church and you are now a disciple. That's not what it says. A lot of people read this verse and they they think it says, go on Sunday and listen to the pastor. You're a disciple. That's, That's not what it says. It doesn't say go attend a class. Now you're good. Okay, add some more things. Now you're just... None of those make you disciples of Jesus Christ. If you've never committed to a discipleship group, then I challenge you today, commit to a discipleship group. Don't be, don't be afraid of that. Don't be intimidated by that. It's something that hundreds and hundreds of people here at Cornerstone are involved in. Commit to a discipleship group and, and begin to enter into relationships with other believers and just try it. And see what begins to happen in your life spiritually. Jesus went on to say in verse 20, Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice what comes after that. Amen. Uh, Amen's uh, permeated American culture, even among uh, people who don't believe Christ. Uh, you, have a, you have a lost co-worker, everyone wants to throw an amen at you, you know? Uh, it's just it's part of American culture. But amen means let it to be done. So be it. 
somebody says something, you're like, amen, brother. What are you really saying? You're saying, that's right. Let it, let it be as you just said. Uh, if we personalize the, the word amen, it would be let's do it. Let it be. Let's, let's get it done. Jesus said, go and make disciples. You know, you know what the end word is of the Great Commission? Let's do it. Let's get it done. Let's get engaged with that. Amen? Ooh, some of you may have just told a lie right there. Uh, but yes, let's do it. Let's all get involved with it and let's do it. As we go forward in this year, we're going to be focused on discipleship. We're going to get it done. The mission of Christ, and this may be one of the most important things I want to say this morning. The mission of Christ is not just for vocational pastors or missionaries. Most of the people attending church in the Metroplex, and there's millions of them this morning, have come to church with the belief that ministry is what the pastor does. It's not true. The scripture says, let us go make disciples. Matter of fact, it says, Pastor Aaron, that the job of the pastor is to equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. That is our job description. We're team coach. Coach you up so we can all go make disciples. We hold here at Cornerstone. Some people ask me one day, why don't we run 5,000 at Cornerstone? Listen, don't make it complicated. We don't run 5,000 because we can't find 5,000 people that want to be accountable to make disciples. That's why we don't run 5,000 people. We don't run 5,000 people because the 500 we have are not yet willing to engage and be a pastor to someone else. As soon as it happens, Acts chapter 2 begins to happen in your midst. It is very, very simple. We believe here at Cornerstone that every Christian is called to pastor someone. Every one of you are called to pastor someone. I did not say called to preach sermons to them, okay? I mean shepherd. I mean invest in. You say, what is a pastor? We pray with people. We love people. We help people. You're called to pray with people, help people, love people. We teach people. You're called to teach people. You're to be a pastor to someone. <clears throat> someone asked me, do you believe in women pastors? Yeah, I've got like hundreds of them here at Cornerstone who shepherd other, other women and children and people and invest in their lives and love them and nurture them and care for them. It's the very definition of what a pastor is. Every believer is called to share the gospel with another person. I'm going to say it this way because I'm going to set you up for a sermon coming. Every person at Cornerstone is called to be a missionary. Now, sometimes you get uneasy when I talk like this, and I don't want you to be uncomfortable with that. You, you guys are all evangelistic about something. I mean, you're looking at me like I never see your Facebook page, posts right now. Listen, when I watch you guys during the week, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just stating fact now, I love you, keep doing what you're doing, okay? You're spreading news. You're advancing a cause. Some of you are trying to jam keto diet down my throat. Some of, you, some of you are so forceful. Some of you are so forceful with your political opinions that you're trying to jam that down my throat. And you're evangelizing for conservatism. And some of you are evangelizing for kitten videos. And, and, and uh, some of you are evangelizing for weather reports. And, and, and some of you are evangelizing for certain uh, political parties or football teams or philosophies of living. You may not be spreading good news, but I watch you by the hundreds every week spread news. 
And some of you are so forceful about trying to evangelize people that you send us stuff and say, blood's going to squirt out of our eyes if we don't forward this to a hundred other people. (laughs) Don't you? Wow, you guys are radical, hardcore, you know. Imagine if I gave the invitation this morning and said, unless everybody gets down here right now on your knees, you're going to get fired this week. You're going to be a hex on your ear. That's like witch doctor voodoo stuff, man. You guys are peddling out there. Stop it. What I'm saying is all of you have viewpoints, amen? You have political opinions, you have things you like, cooking, sports, whatever your thing is. Your your family, you're out there advocating for your family and cheering for your family and cheering for your friends and liking wonderful things, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the whole internet's consumed with Jeff Jarrett's birthday right now. The whole internet. I've watched it. You can't go anywhere with it. Happy birthday, Jeff. Congratulations. Welcome to the dark side, man. 4-0. Life's good in your 40s, man. You haven't you're got to your prime yet, man. Anyway, happy birthday. What I'm saying, though, is just this afternoon go to Facebook and watch people cheer for what they love. Your love, by the way, that's what that means. And watch, watch people advocate and try to sway you to their thing. When I talk about making disciples, sometimes people say to me, well, Pastor, I'm just not very... Stop it. You are. You are. You say, well, I'm uncomfortable then doing, you know, spreading Jesus. Okay, well, we'll help you be comfortable. You know how you learn to be a pastor to someone else? You know, what, you know where you learn to pastor someone else? Sitting at one of our kitchen tables with four other people. Small group is where you learn to love other people, and what it looks like to pastor somebody else, and how to care for somebody else, and, and how to do what God has called us to do. Now, we want to be a, a great church. But we don't want to necessarily be a great church in the eyes of our pop culture. That's a very moving target. We want to make sure this morning that we're a great church in the eyes of the one who's called us his church. We want to make sure we're a great church in the eyes of God. And if you're willing to be what God wants you to be, then the best place to learn how to do that is is right here. Let me give you a couple of illustrations before we close. Imagine your car breaks down. Happens to me all the time, seems like. Got some car to fix. I and mean, when you have teenagers driving cars, there's always something broken. <clears throat> Your car is not magically repaired when you pull it into the garage. I mean, the tools are in the garage, and the jacks are in the garage, and the jack stands are in there, and the air compressor, and all the equipment's in there. But when you get the broken vehicle into the garage, you don't just declare it fixed. That's ridiculous. Uh, I'm shocked how we don't apply rational thinking to our spiritual lives sometimes. Likewise, you can't correct what's broken in your life by pulling into church. I'm shocked at how often people say to me, well, I've got my kids in church. You don't pull a broken car into the garage and say, why isn't it fixed? I pulled it into the garage. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be rational for a minute. It's not to get the car fixed, we have to get under the hood, figure out what's not correct, and make the adjustments. Does that make sense? That's where the repair happens. That's where then we can declare we're making some progress. We can get on down the road a little further right now. And I'm going to say this. I, of course, I was, we were trying to get home the other day from Miami, and we had technical problem, mechanical problems on the plane. We had no aircraft, so we waited for six, seven hours, 
in the airport. We're bringing an alternative plane up from the hangar. Yay! You know, six hours later, they pull the alternative plane up from the hangar. It gets to the, to the jet bridge. We get on the airplane. We sit down. Captain comes on and says, we're going through pre-flight check. We've got mechanical failure on this plane as well. Got a reverse thruster that won't work. We've got too much fuel in the tanks. They can't get a pump truck to work. He's like, it's just going to hell in a handbasket. Get off the plane and spend the night. Okay? So, listen, I know about failure. And let me tell you this. Those planes are extremely complicated. And nobody wants to get on a plane with even one little thing wrong. Amen? The more complicated the mechanism, the more maintenance that is required. Amen? Now, listen to what I'm saying to you. You are not simple. You are the most complex thing on planet Earth. There are no simple answers where you can just throw something at somebody and say, well, what you need to do is blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. The more complicated the mechanism, the more maintenance that's required and the more careful you have to be and intentional. You're the most complicated creation on planet Earth. God did a wonderful thing when he made you fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely and what i'm saying this morning is you need lots of adjustments you need lots of continual careful maintenance i change the oil in my lawnmower once every six years i mean who changes the oil in their lawnmower besides like three people in here when it dies you just go to home depot and buy a new one imagine if i got on that 777, they say, we've been really maintenance this thing in about six years, but good luck, guy. No, no. What happens if you don't maintenance your body? Same thing. Things go, go wrong. What I'm saying to you this morning is simply this. You're not simple. You're highly sophisticated, highly complicated, and it is a discipleship group where they lift the hood and we get under the hood together And people who are more spiritually advanced than you can lean down into the mechanism and say, this needs to be adjusted right here. No peace? Yeah, that's because your prayer life's not right there where it needs to be. Not hearing from God? Yeah, because you're not in the Word of God daily. That needs to be just to fix that right there. You say, well, I'm just angry. Yeah, because there's this thing right here you've never been able to let go and ask forgiveness of. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, well, I come to church. Why isn't everything hunky-dunky? Because we have to get the hood up of your life. And we have to get together in a small group and roll up our sleeves and get in there and say, okay, let's make some adjustments. Now, I'm constantly, I'm loving that I constantly see you post on social media how much you love your small groups, your discipleship groups. I think Megan, some of your people the other day, in your group, you're saying, man, I love you gals. And then one of the other girls was like, no, I love you more. And somebody said, I love my group. And then somebody else said, no, I love it more than you love it. And it was just like, I wanted to throw up, kind of. But, <laughs> but it's, really, it's really rewarding to lead a group of people who have learned to love each other. That's rewarding. And it's rewarding for me to see the joy bubbling up in your life because you've allowed people to know you. And that's scary. You say, well, they don't really know each other. Yeah, they do. And they still love each other. And that's the cool thing. Every one of us want to be truly known, even though it terrifies us. We want to be truly known. 
and then loved in spite of the fact that they truly know us. That's what we're offering you. Jesus didn't tell the 12, memorize each other's names and eat a casserole. Y'all will be good. Jesus said, get together, know each other, love each other, make your love for God, drive this whole mission, and I want your lives to be transformed. Everything we're doing here is strategically designed to equip you for one purpose, to make disciples who can make disciples for Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is us. If you want to know who Cornerstone, that's who we are. Now we're making a difference, but a small difference. Our disciples in India led about 100 people to Christ the last couple of weeks. I've been sending reports to the deacon steadily. We're about to launch another church in Chandigarh, India in just a few days. The churches we're discipling are launching disciples like crazy. We're making a difference. I want to say that we're making a difference. We're making a difference right here in our own community, but just making a small difference. Gosh, I just feel like it's a drop in the ocean to what we, we need to be doing. And so when I say let's go, let's expand, let, let's, let's go further, let's, we need to go broader, you understand what I mean is there are wonderful, wonderful people in this community who do not yet know Jesus Christ, whose lives have not yet been transformed, and you know these people. You work with them, they're your neighbors, they're the parents of your kids, friends at the soccer. You know these people, and these people are reachable for Jesus Christ. I'm all in for the mission of Christ, and I'm challenging you this morning. Be all in for making disciples. We want to send disciples out of this church to our community who know they are saved, how they were saved, and how to tell somebody their story and God's story. That's exactly what we want. We want to develop leaders here who know study the Bible for themselves. Not required, not, not, not dependent upon the pastor to feed them. People open, open their Bible for themselves. Learn how to feed themselves from the Scripture. That is our end game. Now remember this, you can't take people where you've never been. So you have to ask yourself this morning, where, where are you going? If you looked in the mirror and assessed your life this morning, you say, where am I going? Am I going towards materialism? Am I going towards cynicism with my attitudes? What, where is my life going? The only place you can take people is the direction you're going. If you don't like the direction your life's going this morning, connect with a group of people who you like the direction their lives are going. And they'll just lock arms with you and take you in that direction. Now we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning before we, before we leave. And I'm right at the end of my time here. So... Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy to come. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. At the end of the service, Pastor Aaron and Ashley will be out by the welcome desk. If you're not a part of a life group, not part of a discipleship group, you just find Pastor Aaron and say, what, what do I need to do? Maybe you're not even ready to, to join a discipleship group, but you're just curious about more details. Just say, Pastor, I just want to know. He and Ashley will be right back here. They're going to get some information. If you have version this morning in my notes in front of you on your device, you have a link, CBC Discipleship there. You just hit that link. It's going to take you right to an information card. Fill it out. It'll come to us via email. We'll contact you from there. That's all you need to do. It's the first step of your decision. Now, I want you to think about what God's saying to your heart right now about where your year is going to go from here, okay? First thing first, love God with all your heart. 
out of our love for God will come the mission. The mission is making disciples. And we're not going to clutter the calendar with too many things that distract us from that. Amen. All right, let's pray together as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Father, we bow before you right now with grateful hearts to be called your family. And God, this morning you've helped us maybe just peel away some of the clutter that accumulates in our lives. We understand what we need to do in the next days, weeks, what decision needs to come next for us. And God, I pray that, Lord, uh, we, we would, with all our hearts, love you the way we should. And God, that out of that love would be a desire to be on mission making disciples. Father, thank you that, God, for by and large, the most part, the vast part of this congregation, that's exactly where they are this morning. God, whatever we need to do to make adjustments, Lord, help us to begin to make those adjustments that this year would be our greatest year. Lord, as we approach your table right now, communion and fellowship as a body with you, Lord, if there's any sin in our lives, anything that needs to be dealt with, God, bring it to our mind right now. God, bring it to our mind right now that we might confess it to you and find a place of forgiveness with you and peace with you. Father, just search our hearts right now. Lord, when those things pop into our life that are standing between us and you, Lord, we're going to confess them right now and get them out of the way so that nothing hinders our fellowship with you. Lord, let this be a moment of restoration for us.